Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend asked if I would read from my work as something they might find comforting and familiar amidst the uncertainty and anxiety we're experiencing from multiple sources in 2020. As of this opening, I've read Perishables, the first book of my five-book vampire and urban fantasy series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka falstaffbooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's bit.ly, slash perishables link. Now I'm reading from my short stories and other works, and occasionally I'll invite on a writer friend for special episodes called Public Domain Radio. Thanks for listening. Okay, let's knock out another bit of Dracula, because we are in the thick of it now. Now we're in the part where they start to realize what is happening. Hmm, the small back definitely helps. Usually if I'm at a con, oh yeah, that's good stuff. I know I don't sound like it's good stuff, but it's good stuff. <clears throat> Usually at a con, um, I have a little flask in my pocket. But I feel like a glass of wine is an excellent way to get it started. It's possible after this, when there are conventions again, if there ever are conventions again, that I will just have to take a bottle of wine with me to a reading. Oh well, that would really stink, he said. Not at all meaning that. So, let's get right back to it. What can I do? asked Arthur hoarsely. Tell me and I shall do it. My life is hers and I would give the last drop of blood in my body for her. The professor has a strongly humorous side and I could from old knowledge, detect a trace of its origin in his answer. My young sir, I do not ask so much as that, not the last. What shall I do? There was fire in his eyes, and his open nostril quivered with intent. Van Helsing slapped him on the shoulder. Come, he said, you are a man, and it is a man we want. You are better than me, better than my friend John. Arthur looked bewildered, and the professor went on by explaining in a kindly way, Young Miss is very bad very bad. She wants blood, and blood she must have or die. My friend John and I have consulted, and we are about to perform what we call transfusion of blood, to transfer from full veins of one to the empty veins which pine for him. John was to give his blood, and he is the more young and strong than me. Here Arthur took my hand and wrung it hard in silence. But now you are here. You are more good than us, old or young, who toil much in the world of thought. Our nerves are not so calm and our blood not so bright than yours. Arthur turned to him and said, If you only knew how gladly I would die for her, you would understand. But he stopped with a sort of choke in his voice. Good boy, said Van Helsing. In the not so far off, you will be happy that you have done all for her you love. Come now and be silent. You shall kiss her once before it is done, but then you must go. Then you must leave at my sign. Say no word to madame. You know how it is with her. There must be no shock. Any knowledge of this would be one. Come. We all went up to Lucy's room. Arthur, by direction, remained outside. Lucy turned her head and looked at us, but said nothing. She was not asleep, but she was simply too weak to make the effort. Her eyes spoke to us. That was all. Van Helsing took some things from his bag and laid them on a little bit out, on a little table out of sight. Then he mixed a narcotic and, coming over to the bed, said cheerily, 
Now, little miss, here is your medicine. Drink it off like a good child. See, I lift you so that to swallow is easy. Yes. She'd made the effort with success. It astonished me how long the drug took to act. This, in fact, marked the extent of her weakness. The time seemed endless until sleep began to flicker in her eyelids. At last, however, the narcotic began to manifest its potency, and she fell into a deep sleep. When the professor was satisfied, he called Arthur into the room and bade him strip off his coat. Then he added, You may take that one little kiss whilst I bring over the table. Friend John helped to me, so neither of us looked whilst he bent over her. Van Helsing, turning to me, said, He is so young and strong and of blood so pure that we need not defibrinate it. Then with swiftness, but with absolute method, Van Helsing performed the operation. As the transfusion went on, Something like life seemed to come back to poor Lucy's cheeks, and through Arthur's growing pallor the joy of his face seemed absolutely to shine. After a bit I began to grow anxious, for the loss of blood was telling on Arthur, a strong man as he was. It gave me an idea of what a terrible strain Lucy's system must have undergone, that what weakened Arthur only partially restored her. But the professor's face was set, and he stood watch in hand, and with his eyes fixed now on the patient and now on Arthur. I could hear my own heartbeat. Presently he said in a soft voice, Do not stir an instant. It is enough. You attend him. I will look to her. When all was over, I could see how much Arthur was weakened. I dressed the wound and took his arm to bring him away, when Van Helsing spoke without turning around. The man seems to have eyes in the back of his head. The brave lover, I think, deserves another kiss, which he shall have presently. And as he had now finished his operation... He adjusted the pillow to the patient's head. As he did so, the narrow black velvet band which she seems always to wear around her throat, buckled with an old diamond buckle which her lover had given her, was dragged a little up and showed a red mark on her throat. Arthur did not notice it, but I could hear the deep hiss of indrawn breath, which is one of Van Helsing's ways of betraying emotion. He said nothing at the moment, but turned to me, saying— now take down our brave young lover, give him of the port wine, and let him lie down a while. He must then go home and rest, sleep much and eat much, that he may be recruited of what he has so given to his love. He may not stay here. Hold, a moment. I may take it, sir, that you are anxious of result. Then bring it with you that in all ways the operation is successful. You have saved her life this time, and you can go home and rest easy in mind that all that can be is... I shall tell her all when she is well. She shall love you none the less for what you have done. Goodbye. When Arthur had gone, I went back to the room. Lucy was sleeping gently, but her breathing was stronger. I could see the counterpane move as her breast heaved. By the bedside sat Van Helsing, looking at her intently. The velvet band again covered the red mark. I asked the professor in a whisper, What do you make of that mark on her throat? What do you make of it? I have not examined it yet, I answered, and then and there proceeded to loose the band. Just over the external jugular vein there were two punctures, not large, but not wholesome-looking. There was no sign of disease, but the edges were white and worn-looking, as if by some trituration. It at once occurred to me that this wound, or whatever it was, might be the means of that manifest blood loss, but I abandoned the idea as soon as formed, for such a thing could not be. The whole bed would have been drenched to a scarlet with the blood which the girl must have lost to leave such a pallor as she had before the transfusion. Well, said Van Helsing, 
Well, said I, I can make nothing of it. The professor stood up. I must go back to Amsterdam tonight, he said. There are books and things there which I want. You must remain here all the night, and you must not let your sight pass from her. Shall I have a nurse? I asked. We are the best nurses, you and I. You keep watch all night. See that she is well fed, and that nothing disturbs her. You must not sleep all the night. Later on we can sleep, you and I. I shall be back as soon as possible, and then we may begin. May begin? I said. What on earth do you mean? We shall see, he answered as he hurried out. He came back a moment later and put his head inside the door and said, with warning finger held up, Remember, she is your charge. If you leave her and harm befall, you shall not sleep easy hereafter. Dr. Seward's diary continued. 8th September. I sat up all night with Lucy. The opiate worked itself off towards dusk, and she waked naturally. She looked a different being from what she had been before the operation. Her spirits even were good, and she was full of a happy vivacity, but I could see evidences of the absolute prostration which she had undergone. When I told Mrs. Westenra that Dr. Van Helsing had directed that I should sit up with her, she almost poo-pooed the idea, pointing out her daughter's renewed strength and excellent spirits. I was firm, however, and made preparations for my long vigil. When her maid had prepared her for the night, I came in, having in the meantime had supper, and took a seat by the bedside. She did not in any way make objection, but looked at me gratefully whenever I caught her eye. After a long spell, she seemed sinking off to sleep, but with an effort seemed to pull herself together and shook it off. This was repeated several times, with greater effort and with shorter pauses as the time moved on. It was apparent that she did not want to sleep, so I tackled the subject at once. You do not want to go to sleep? No, I am afraid. Afraid to go to sleep? Why so? It is the boon we all crave for. Ah, not if you were like me. If sleep was to you a presage of horror. A presage of horror? What on earth do you mean? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. And that is what is so terrible. All this weakness comes to me in sleep until I dread the very thought. But my dear girl, you may sleep tonight. I'm here watching you, and I can promise that nothing will happen. Ah, I can trust you. I seized the opportunity and said, I promise you that if I see any evidence of bad dreams, I will wake you at once. You will? Oh, will you really? How good you are to me. Then I will sleep. Then almost at the word, she gave a deep sigh of relief and sank back asleep. All night long I watched her. She never stirred, but slept on and on in a deep, tranquil, life-giving, health-giving sleep. Her lips were slightly parted, and her breast rose and fell with the regularity of a pendulum. There was a smile on her face, and it was evident that no bad dreams had come to disturb her peace of mind. In the early morning, her maid came, and I left her in her care and took myself back home, for I was anxious about many things. I sent a short wire to Van Helsing and Arthur, telling them of the excellent result of the operation. My own work, with its manifold arrears, took me all day to clear off. It was dark when I was able to inquire about my zoophagous patient. The report was good. He had been quite quiet for the past day and night. A telegram came from Van Helsing at Amsterdam whilst I was at dinner, suggesting that I should be at Hillingham, Hillingham tonight, as it might be well to be at hand, and stating that he was leaving by the night mail and would join me early in the morning. 9 September I was pretty tired and worn out when I got to Hillingham, 
For two nights I had hardly had a wink of sleep, and my brain was beginning to feel that numbness which marks cerebral exhaustion. Lucy was up and in cheerful spirits. When she shook hands with me, she looked sharply in my face and said, No sitting up tonight for you. You are worn out. I am quite well again. Indeed I am, and if there is to be any sitting up, it is I who will sit up with you. I would not argue the point, but went and had my supper. Lucy came with me, and enlivened by her charming presence, I made an excellent meal, and had a couple of glasses of the more than excellent port. Then Lucy took me upstairs and showed me a room next to her own, where a cozy fire was burning. Now, she said, you must stay here. I shall leave this door open, and my door too. You can lie on the sofa, for I know that nothing would induce any of you doctors to go to bed, whilst there is a patient above the horizon. If I want anything, I shall call out, and you can come to me at once." I could not but acquiesce, for I was dog-tired, and could not have sat up had I tried. So on her renewing her promise to call me if she should want anything, I lay on the sofa and forgot all about everything. 9 September Lucy's Westenra, Lucy Westenra's Diary 9 September I feel so happy tonight. I have been so miserably weak that to be able to think and move about is like feeling sunshine after a long spell of east wind out of a steel sky. Somehow Arthur feels very, very close to me. I seem to feel his presence warm about me. I suppose it is that sickness and weakness are selfish things and turn our inner eyes and sympathy on ourselves, whilst health and strength give love rein, and in thought and feeling he can wander where he wills. I know where my thoughts are. If Arthur only knew, my dear, my dear, your ears must tingle as you sleep as mine do waking. Oh, the blissful rest of last night. How I slept with that dear, good Dr. Seward watching me. And tonight I shall not fear to sleep, since he is close at hand and within call. Thank everybody for being so good to me. Thank God. Good night, Arthur. I'm going to stop there. Because that's a good place to stop. And if I remember correctly, that might be Lucy's last really happy moment. I kind of want to take a moment to reflect on that. Mm. Other thoughts that occurred to me during this. Uh, well, I guess they had not yet invented blood typing. I know they had not. And uh, that's a pretty risky move. Just, you know, jacking somebody else's blood in your veins. Why not? My God. A friend of mine, several years ago, um, he's long since, many years since, fully recovered now. Anyway, he through course of accident, put his fist through a window that was very old and was <laughs> like the sort of thin glass that really cuts you. And in the course of it, like really gashed his arm open, bleeding like crazy. And somebody was with him and called 911 and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. This was in San Francisco. And it was, if I remember correctly, there was like a really weird coincident that caused them the like, coincidental event that caused them to take a long time to get an ambulance to him. Anyway, it took a few minutes for the EMTs to arrive and they were sitting on the front stoop of his house waiting for these EMTs to arrive. And my friend described the, the friend. I know both of these guys. And so the person who was sitting with him waiting for the EMTs to arrive <clears throat> said afterwards that my friend first turned white with blood loss and then turned gray and that that was when he became terrified because he knew that like they really did not have very long to save his life because he had lost a ton of blood. 
And so I always think of that now when I read Dracula and I think of those scenes of Lucy growing paler and paler and paler and then waxing and then waning again and waxing and waning again. And the way that like to look at somebody in that state of bad health is just absolutely mortally terrifying. So I find it very powerful. Um, Anyway, I will catch you later and we'll do this again soon. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. The theme music is Bucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution License at ccmixter.org.